and we can help you sound like a better speaker, but it's going to be hard to actually be a better speaker in terms of the strategy and the mindset and like what you're trying to achieve, right? Because at the end of the day, what's the purpose of speaking? The purpose of speaking is to convince somebody of something. It's to persuade them. It's to move them. Well, if we don't know who we are and we don't know what we want to sound like and we don't know what our purpose is, we may sound like a great speaker, but we're not actually going to connect with our audience. Welcome to Applied Speaking, a podcast where I take you with me on my learning journey of becoming a better public speaker. I interview public speaking experts and let them live coach me. This week's guest is Robbie Crabtree. Robbie was a trial lawyer until a year ago and last year decided to build his own course around performative speaking. His course was so successful that he was recently acquired by OnDeck. One of the things we talk about in this podcast is how art can be inspiring for being a public speaker and can make you a better speaker. Robbie also gives feedback on a pitch I perform in the middle of the podcast and gives some tips on how to deliver better pitches. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hey, what's up, Robbie? Nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Ben. Great to be here, man. <laughs> I was really looking forward to this. I've been following you since... I think early June and really think I witnessed some some ex- explosive growth in terms of your Twitter account, but also what you've been up to. It's nice to be part of what do you, how do you describe what you've been doing to people who are totally outside of this, this world of Twitter nowadays? So really, I've been building in public is the first thing. And that's just chronicling my journey, both on Twitter and then also professionally. And professionally, Mm -hmm. it comes down to building out performative speaking, which was my kind of philosophy when it comes to how to become a better speaker. And then additionally, within that philosophy, I created a cohort-based course. When I created that cohort-based course, that's really what led to a lot of this explosive growth. Because ultimately, as we all saw, so I kind of started this in July-ish. And by the end of December, I had actually been acquired by on deck to to bring performance speaking and turn it into on deck performance speaking and run that program through them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool man. Yeah, I think something I didn't quite realize about like gaining audience, growing a Twitter audience was maybe it's kind of obvious, but that it's all about personal connections and the stuff you've been up to and connecting with people. I think speaking is a skill that's really helping with connecting with people and um can you tell you tell something about how that's been supporting to con- making those connections? Well, sure. I mean, the the way that I think you grow on Twitter is the same as the way you grow in real life. And that is to build real connections with people and not for any purpose, not to get something out of them, not to use them for some purpose. It's just simply to build real connections. When COVID hit, right? We, we kind of all saw the world shut down in a lot of ways, which meant we had to be even more intentional in the way that we were creating connections with people because we were removed. We had screens between us. We couldn't meet them in person. It couldn't be over a drink. It couldn't be at a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be anything like that. And so much of the way that we connect with people is oftentimes in person, that body language, that energy that people are giving off. But what I found is you can do it over Zoom if you're really intentional. So my philosophy really was if I was meeting people that I was interested in, I'm purely interested because I thought they were writing about interesting things or had cool ideas. 
They were, you know, founding a new company. That was exciting. I would just start reaching out to them, go to the DMs, DM, move it to a Zoom call and say, hey, let's chat or a phone call, whatever it was. But like, let's actually use our voice. Let's actually use our mm -hmm. words. Let's feel that warmth. Let's feel that human connection that you can't do when you're just typing words through a screen on Twitter. So I, I used the ability to speak as a means to really build deeper connections with people and really honestly just blew up the, the friend network that I have now all because I spent so much time on Zoom calls. Now, the one thing to be aware when it comes to that is you're doing a lot of things that don't scale. And like if you're building a, a business, most people will say you need to be focused on things that can scale. And I take a very different approach where I just say, I spend so much time on calls and doing things that don't scale. And that's really been the difference for me because I'm not in it for any purpose. I'm not trying to make sure I can reach 10,000 people in a day. If I reach five people on a deep and meaningful way, that's a successful day. So like I'm approaching it very differently than I think many people do, but that's where speaking to me comes in because I can create that really deep, meaningful connection with people. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I was reading some of your, your posts. You've been writing every day in, in January. And um, some of the cool things that I got out of it was how you look at conversations, not in a to try to look at conversations, not in a transactional way, but in as an end in itself. Do you feel like um, when you get on, let's say, a sales call or a podcast like this, what's the best way to achieve that, to achieve an treating the podcast conversation as an end instead of just a means to to get an audience or, or something like that. Yeah, so I wrote in that piece, actually, the one you're referencing, that podcasts kind of serve two purposes, right? Like you are trying to create that human connection. Like that's the best podcast, the one where the, the people talking feel like they're just old friends or they're going down these interesting rabbit holes that maybe it wasn't designed to originally, but something just sparks, right? And it's really interesting. And you say, you know, I'm going to explore that deeper. I think those are the podcasts I enjoy listening to the most and the ones that I enjoy going on the most. But at the same time, you, you need some level of transaction in a podcast because you want to make sure people are getting value out of it, hmm. right? You, you as the podcast host want to make sure that your listeners get value. Myself, as a creator, I want to make sure that people get value out of it as well. Like I don't want them just to hear two random people talking about stuff that we think is, is a bunch of interesting ideas. I want them saying, you know, when I walked away, I was entertained, but I also walked away with some edu you know, education, something that I can implement, something that's actionable. So I think there's really a blend when we're talking about a podcast of making that real human connection, but also giving a piece of that transaction. And when it comes to sales, I actually think the biggest mistake people make is thinking that everybody should be buying from them. I think one of the, the main things you should do is build that human connection when you're in a sales process and determine, are you a good fit or not? Hmm. And if you're not, you need to be able to say, I can't help you or it's not the right fit. So you should go to somebody else. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people make is again, treating those conversations as transactions instead of treating them as real human connections. And if I treat it as a real human connection, when I'm thinking, you know what, this person, if I really am trying to be a human with them, I'm going to say, you know what, I would love to make more money myself, but I'm not the right person. I can't help you. What I offer, it doesn't make sense for you. Maybe you should be at a lower price point with somebody who can get you most of the way instead of investing with me just because it's going to cost you too much money to, to invest. So I think even in sales, you still have to have that human 
kind of insight to say, I can't help you, or maybe it's not the right fit, so go find somebody else. Instead of looking at it as just like, I wanna make a sale every single time I'm on the call. And that's what a lot of people look at it as. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's also a really short term strategy to just keep wanting to sell, to make this sell. And if, like you said, you sometimes um, avoid the sale or you sometimes let it go and, and transfer the sale to someone else, then that's more of a long term strategy for your own because you keep doing stuff you actually like doing and you keep get, uh, delivering good, better work, I think. Yeah, I mean, the other day I was talking to a founder and we were having conversation. It was a, a situation where I definitely could help this founder kind of craft their story and really build it out so that they could be successful with customers, attracting the right talent, and then ultimately in their next series of funding. But as we were having this conversation, I realized it was just a little bit too early. He wasn't quite there yet. Like he needed probably another two months before it was really ripe for me to come in and help him. And I could have could have continued to push and I could have made the sale if I wanted to. Like there's no doubt about it, I could have led him down that path and gotten the sale. But that wasn't in his best interest. And so I had to say, hey, I think you're too early. Like let's circle back in two months and see if that's the right time. Because I think that that's, again, about building this real human connection. I care about him as a, as a founder and as a person instead of just as a number that has dollar signs behind it. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, something else I was wondering about. You've been obviously pretty busy the, the last couple of months and, and the last year. And um, I myself start to notice that I'm, um, well, I'm getting busier the last couple of weeks and the coming weeks with some um, stuff for me coming up with my design agency, the podcast and, and other stuff. That it's sometimes pretty hard to actually be in the conversation you want to be. So your mind starts wandering off and that's not really advantages for for your speaking also and also not for the connection how do you deal with this how do you approach stuff like this how how can you be more present in a conversation well i mean the easiest way to be present is put everything away don't have your phone near you don't be on multiple screens pay attention to who's talking like that's honestly the the simplest answer mm -hmm. and then it just takes intentionality you have to be intentional in saying, I want to have this, this conversation. I'm going to stay focused on it. I'm not going to let my mind wander. I'm going to listen to what this person has to say. And some of that boils down to understanding active listening, understanding great questions. You can't ask great questions if you're not listening. And if I'm not actually participating and listening to what the other person is saying, they're going to pick up on that. And then the energy is just going to be off. So for me, it's all about just really thinking through and saying focused on, hey, I'm in this conversation now, all the other stuff can wait, I'll get to it when I get to it, because this is the most important thing at this moment, I need to stay focused. And do you think when the situation is turned around and the other person tends to be less present in the conversation that you can like pull that, that person back into the conversation? I mean, that really depends, right? If it's a brand new conversation and they're not engaged in it, then it probably isn't a relationship that's gonna build because I'm picking up on that and saying, oh, they don't really care about this conversation. Mm. Whereas if somebody is really engaged, again, I'm gonna pick up on that and realize there's a real connection there and let's build on that. So I think some of that is, is largely on the other person. Like I'm not gonna go out of my way to try to bring them back in if, I, if it's like a first time conversation and they don't seem interested. Right. That's mm -hmm. just just not worth not worth the time and the investment to, to do that. 
Now, if it's a situation where I know them, I've had multiple calls or, or we're friends or things of that nature, I get it, things come up, right? Sometimes we get distracted. I do myself too. And in those situations, I'll oftentimes just call them out and say, hey man, like, can you, can you stay focused over here, right? And I've had people call me out because there have been times where things are pinging left and right and all of a sudden I'll get pulled into something and realize I'm not being present and I've been called out and I'm like, I'm so sorry, that was totally my bad. It's not saying that I'm perfect when it comes to conversations. Like I make mistakes just like everybody else. I think that's one of the things to realize. And there's also an ability to like give some people some grace and some some leeway to realize we're all overwhelmed right now. Hmm. So don't be don't get frustrated, don't get upset at somebody, just kind of point it out. They may not even realize you're doing it. The difference, like I said, is if it's a first time conversation, then it's kind of like they're they can't even give the time of day in the very first conversation, that first impression that sends a really bad signal to me. And in that, that situation, I'm not nearly as concerned about bringing that person back into the conversation fully because again, they, they just seem like they don't care. And if, it, if it's one of those, there's plenty of people out there that do care hmm. and I can go and have conversations with them. Like I don't need to be friends with everybody. That's kind of that idea of when you write, if you write for everybody, you write for nobody. The same is true when it comes to connections and friends. Like there's only so many that you can have. Right? Like I love building human connections and that's always my goal. But at the same time, I can't be on 24 calls every single day. I mean, the amount of people who reach out and want to get on calls, like I physically can't do that. I don't have enough time to do all that. I don't have the mental bandwidth to build all of those. So like I do have to be somewhat selective in that process. And I do the best I can to connect with as many people as possible. But you do also have to realize if you try to be friends with everybody, if you try to build a connection with everybody, you're going to end up building connection with nobody because you can't actually invest the time it takes to build a deeper and deeper connection. Mm, yeah, exactly. So today we're also going to do a little bit of coaching. You're going to coach me in some, some um, well, let's say tricks to become a better speaker, to make some first progress. What were you thinking about? Well, so first off, I don't teach tricks. So <laughs> tricks, right. tricks are a very bad word. Uh, and I, I hate <laughs> tricks. I hate hacks. I hate all that sort of stuff because it's just not this. I know I'm just giving you a hard time because you threw that word at me. Yeah, well, I, I, I was considering not using this word, but <laughs> nothing better came up. So <laughs> thanks for calling me out on this. So, I mean, the first, first thing when we're talking about it, like if I'm, just, if I'm coaching anybody, the first thing I'm going to tell them is slow down in their pacing. Just simply slowing down will help any, any speaker become better. And I, I say that because there's plenty of studies out there saying that really the ideal pace for, for the human brain to pick up on the spoken word is anywhere between 110 to 140 words per minute. And most people talk much, much faster than that, especially on podcasts. Now, the advantage on podcasts is people can pause it and absorb it. But when we're talking live and in person, like if this was streaming live, somebody can't pause that if they're listening live, like they're going to miss, miss out. So you need to speak at a, a pace that makes sense to people. So the first thing I, I will tell anybody, and this honestly goes across the board is just slow down. And so like, that's the simplest, if we want to call, you know, hack, whatever, even though I, I hate that word, that is the simplest thing to make yourself sound like a better speaker. And I say this because not only do you sound more in control, you can start to use more dynamics. You can speed up, you can slow down and it actually will, kind of make sense inside of the listener's ear, but you also have the chance to self edit. You also have the chance to be thinking ahead. So you're not using filler words like ums and uhs and things of that nature. So that's the easiest, just pure 
technique that I would say is just slow down. If we're talking about specific exercises to do, one of the first things I love to do, and this is going to sound super counterintuitive, but it makes a lot of sense is you need to examine what your core values are as a speaker mm -hmm. and as a person. So I actually released a YouTube video the other day on it, and it's essentially find your three to five core values. What are those? What, what makes you tick? What drives you? Because once you figure those out, you can start to figure out what your voice is. And once you know your voice, it's, it's a lot easier to figure out how I want to sound as a speaker. So that's one exercise you can do that works pretty well. Another one is just simply, if I were to say, like, what is the one quote that you live your life by? Like, think about that and, and tell me that and we can go from there. Like, that's another way of kind of doing core values, just a little bit of a different spin. Yeah, all right. Um, so those are kind of the, um, is that kind of the structure you approach when you're going to start teaching people to speak better? Are these the first lessons you're going to teach them? In a lot of ways, yes, because if they don't know who they are as a person, they don't know who they are as a speaker. So I think this, this is one of those common misconceptions is people think becoming a great speaker is just about cutting out the us, slowing down, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And there's really two different ideas when it comes to being a great speaker. There's sounding like a great speaker and there's actually being a great speaker. Now, you first need to sound like a great speaker if you're going to be a great speaker. But I like to set the mindset first and set who am I as a person because that drives everything else, right? If we know what makes us tick, what, what really defines who we are as a person, we can start figuring out how do I want to sound? Because one of the next exercises I love to give people is who is your ideal speaker? Who stands out to you? Who do you want to sound like? Is it a live person? Is it a fictional character? Is it a historical figure? Because we can essentially model with that external source of who we want to sound like. And it's amazing how simple that process actually becomes once we identify, hey, these are my core values. This person kind of resembles those. I want to kind of sound like them. Now we have an external source to validate how we want to want to hear and we're no longer working from a blank page of paper we're now working from an actual source an example that we can say hey this is it how do i achieve this what's their pacing what's their rhythm how are they using their voice their inflections all of these things what's their word choice we can analyze all of that and really reverse engineer to create our perfect speaker so you try to create a really concrete image, not only for the person itself, but also where the person wants to be in, let's say, at the end of the speaking course to let the, let the teaching begin. Yeah, I mean, if we know where we're at, like who we are and we know where we want to be, it's a whole lot easier to get there, right? If we don't know and we're just working under this generic idea of I want to be a better speaker, hmm. I mean, sure, we can do that. And we can help you sound like a better speaker, but it's going to be hard to actually be a better speaker in terms of the strategy and the mindset and like what you're trying to achieve, right? Because at the end of the day, what's the purpose of speaking? The purpose of speaking is to convince somebody of something. It's to persuade them. It's to move them. Well, if we don't know who we are and we don't know what we want to sound like and we don't know what our purpose is, we may sound like a great speaker, but we're not actually going to connect with our audience. Right? And I'll give you an example. So I coached the National Mock Trial Team at SMU Law School. Mm -hmm. And I was working with one of my students. And he delivered an absolutely flawless speech. I mean, like, technically, it was perfect. It sounded as good as you could possibly be. 
And so he, he checked that box of sounding like a great speaker, except the message was totally off for what he was trying to achieve. Like it had the 100% wrong effect on the audience than what he was trying to get. So did he sound like a great speaker? Yes. Did he actually achieve what a speaker is trying to achieve? Absolutely not. So in my world, that is not a good speech at all because the whole purpose of speaking is to move people and to get them to take action in some way. And he had failed miserably in that. And so I remember when he delivered that, I, I had the same conversation with him. I said, that was fantastic. Like technically that was beautiful. Like you clearly have the, the technical chops but you had no idea what your strategy was. And it was so, so off, so completely wrong that you had the exact opposite effect of what you were trying to have because you didn't think about that. You just thought about how do I sound like this, this speaker that I'm supposed to be. And so that's why I focus so much on that, Pim. Uh, exactly. And can you share a little bit about what your own core values are, what, you, what you're trying to convey as a speaker? Sure. So... The, the core values that I've really defined for myself through working through this exercise is first that I have a, a level of compassion. And that just comes from kind of my life experiences. I was a child abuse prosecutor for a year. I spent a lot of time working with people who have been seriously hurt, harmed, maimed, victims, like families who had lost their loved ones. I also, in the same, same regard, when I was a defense attorney, felt very much the same way with people who were wrongfully accused tons of compassion for them, wanted to fight for them, always had kind of this almost instinct to protect. Same when I was younger growing up, like I always was, was that person trying to make sure I didn't, didn't bother the other person, trying to make sure, even when I would wake up early and like my parents were sleeping, I'd always try to be super quiet, right? Just so that they could sleep. Simple, simple things like that, that when you look back on your life, you realize, oh, this really is kind of a core defining principle. The way I am, I am with like my dog, the way I am with my friends, the way I really do care about people. And I think that comes through in so much of my writing where I'm talking about it's not transactional. It's about building connection, right? Like there's a level of compassion for other people. Hmm. And so like that's my first one. My second one is persistence. Just when I have something in mind, like I don't stop. And I think you can even, again, see that in this last year. I got in my mind that I was going to create this thing and it was going to be successful. And there was no, no way that I was going to stop until it was. And ultimately, you know, I did achieve that. And the example I love to use for this one, actually, when it comes to persistence, is I always wanted to dunk a basketball. Always. That was always my dream going, growing up. But for whatever reason, I couldn't do it. When I was playing high school basketball, couldn't do it. When I got in college and I was playing, couldn't do it. My friends could do it and I hated it. I was like, why can't I dunk a basketball? I'm 6'2". I should be able to do this. And it was really frustrating. So normally you would say, all right, well, after you graduate college, you just kind of stop, you go and you work, you do all these things, you stop, stop caring about these, you know, more athletic endeavors that you're going after. Except I couldn't, I couldn't let it go. Every time I'd go to a gym, I'd see a basketball hoop and I'd say, I want to dunk a basketball. So I kept working, kept working, kept working. And at age 29, I finally dunked a basketball. <laughs> and I remember just that sense of, of joy that overcame me. And it seems silly, right? Like dunking a basketball, it's such like a, a trivial thing. But I had this idea from the time I was a kid that I wanted to dunk a basketball. And I continued to work on it until I was 29 years old and was able to dunk a basketball, right? So that persistence is just something that's always been a part of me. In fact, one of the articles I wrote kind of highlights this. And it's, it's an article 
title like an addictive personality can pay off or something along those lines where I'm essentially pushing this idea of like, yeah, when I go into something, I really dig in and want to want to see it succeed. And in some ways you have to be careful with that because you, you understand what an addictive personality can ultimately lead to. But if you do it right, like it just kind of drives you to achieve things. And so that's where persistence really comes in. And the last thing is per persuasive, right? I mean, like I, I truly believe that we live in the age of persuasion. I think everything is, is persuasion. I think if you look at the media, if you look at advertisements, if you look at the way people write, if you look at their tweets, everything is trying to persuade you something. Even if it's just to persuade you to like them, even if it's to persuade you that they have some level of expertise, some authority, everything is persuasive. And I think I really get that, that idea from obviously my work as a trial lawyer, but also like my work teaching at SMU Law School and then just my observations from day-to-day -day life and studying storytelling and studying advertisements and copywriting and all these areas of life that we see on a day-to-day -day basis and realizing that when people say we live in the information age, I think that that's completely wrong. I think we live in the age of persuasion. I don't like information is used by people to persuade. The examples I love to use is if we look at any sort of, we'll call it like fact in the media, one media outlet says it means one thing and the other media outlet says it means something different. It's the same fact, but it's meaning two different things. Like that's not information, that's persuasion. And I think we've, we've really kind of stepped into this world. So persuasion and being persuasive is incredibly important to me just because I realize that's the world we live in. And I don't like to put my head in the sand and say, well, I wish we didn't live in a world that was this way. I wish we could just talk about black and white truths all the time, but that just simply isn't the case. And so I wanna make sure that when I'm teaching people and writing about things, it's acknowledging that persuasion is so incredibly important because everybody is using it, whether you realize it or not. So we might as well get really good at it so that we can use it and also recognize it when it's being used on us. Hmm, yeah, for sure. So speaking and persuasion is, is obviously kind of a fundamental fundamental skill for humans they they did it they did it for like since since the beginning of early humans why are so many people so bad at speaking and persuasion so i think persuasion gets a bad rap a lot of times and like this negative connotation like salesy or manipulative and it's really not like persuasion is just putting your ideas in their best light is, is the way that I like to think of it, right? And so I don't, I don't like that it gets a negative connotation sometimes, but it does. And I think we need to, to flip that and realize, hey, persuasion's going on every day. Like every advertisement I see, I'm just like, oh, that's how they're persuading you. That's the, the technique they're using. That's the skill they're using. And you know, like I'll pick up on it and I'll literally buy things because I say that was a good persuasive technique. <laughs> and you notice it when you're listening to speeches, when you're watching movies, when you're watching TV shows, when you're reading books, like they're all persuasion, right? They're all trying to change the way that you think. They're trying to make you recommend it to another friend or think differently about life. Like whatever it is, even a tweet, like whatever tweet you want to pull out, if it's from Naval, if it's from James Clear, it doesn't matter. It's all trying to persuade you to act a certain way that you need to form habits or you need to build leverage, right? Like that's the, the name of the game. And so hopefully people start to realize persuasion is not this dirty word. In fact, it's just a part of life and let's get really good at it.
when it comes to speaking, speaking is one of those weird things. People used to be a lot better at it. And it, it feels like in more and more in this digital age and in an age where people are more and more connected, they realize that they're getting judged more often. And that judgment can be passed a lot easier, I think, from person to person. Whereas back back in, in eras you know, before us, you didn't have phones, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have all these easy ways to, in a lot of ways, gossip about people. And so there was a lot less fear of something I say is gonna make me sound silly and it's gonna come back to bite me. Mm. I mean, think about it now. If you say something on an interview, like if I say something wrong on this podcast, you come back five years from now and somebody could be saying, oh, like Robbie's terrible. Like he, he shouldn't, shouldn't have you know X, Y, and Z because of, of this one thing he said. And so I think people are concerned about putting themselves out there, putting their voice out there and speaking because they're gonna be judged or it can potentially be used against them later. They also feel nervous and silly because honestly, we don't practice it very much in school. Like it's not taught, right? This isn't a skill that we learn. We learn writing in school, but we don't really learn speaking. Speaking is just kind of, we, we learn it as we answer questions from the teacher. And then you go to college and you sit in a giant lecture hall and you have a person talking at you and that's it. So if we're never taught these skills, then it becomes this sense of dread of, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't feel comfortable. No one ever told me what to do. And that's kind of where I come in, right? And why I'm so passionate about this because I want to teach people these things. It's, it is a learnable skill, 100%. Like this is a learnable skill and is one of those things that once you really develop your hard skills, if you want to take your career and your life to the next level, you've got to start figuring this stuff out. This is really what allows you to grow in your professional life. And that's, again, something that people struggle finding and especially now in COVID, we have a tougher time because where do you go? People used to go to Toastmasters or things of that nature. And that, that's pretty much gone. And you have to now find it online. And then it's trying to sift through who actually knows what they're talking about. Who's just selling like a bill of goods and doesn't actually have any real experience versus who does. How do you like find that gatekeeper function? There's just so much going on in the world of speaking. I think people are nervous because they have to put themselves out there, right? They have to trust the person who's teaching them. They have to trust the people that they're in the course with to say, I can be vulnerable and realize that I'm not perfect at this, but I can get better. Hmm. Yeah. I think that, that that's one of the, the core things that you're doing really well, like putting yourself really open on Twitter, being really open and vulnerable and transparent about your building process. Yeah, and I'm sure there will be mistakes. I'm sure somebody will call me out <laughs> on it at some point and say I shouldn't have said this or I shouldn't have done this and whatever. That is what it is. Because I, I believe that there's a value in building in public and showing yeah. people the journey. I think I think it's scary when you're on it, but it's less scary if you see other people on it too. And so you know that it's a safe way to go, right? If people are watching me and saying, oh, Robbie built a course and he did this and he transitioned from being a trial lawyer into this world, I can too, then, then that's beneficial because we need more people creating, we need more people spreading their ideas and their knowledge and their expertise. So for me, building in public is a way to show people that it's safe. Like the example I love to use is when people go cliff diving, nobody wants to be the first cliff diver because you don't know how deep, how deep the water is underneath you. And you need somebody to jump off first. And basically you need them to jump off and then come back up and say, hey, you know, it's 500 feet to the bottom here, it's all safe, you can jump. 
and then people can start following, right? But you need that first person. I'm not saying I'm the first person because I've followed plenty of people who are building in public, Jack Butcher, for example, incredible job. But somebody who maybe comes across me first versus coming across Jack first can now see my example and say, oh, it's safe. Robbie's doing this and, and the water is just, just deep enough. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's actually also one of the things I want to try to convey with this podcast. I, <clears throat> I want to share my learning journey of becoming a better speaker. So in terms of that, do you have any exercises that we can do right now that make me really vulnerable and where I can possibly fail here live on the podcast? Yeah, sure. So let's do this. I want you to pitch yourself and why people should come on this podcast. Yeah. So for the, for the guests on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So I'm Pim and for a lot of time I've been trying a lot of things. I've been trying physics, for example, I've been trying anthropology, programming, building online. I've been trying designing and at some point I came across speaking. I remember like I, I was making a deal with someone and part of the deal was that that uh, that person was going to make uh, to give me speaking lessons. And that's when I, when I first came into contact with speaking and I just saw that there was so many, um, there was so much progress to make in speaking that I saw a whole learning journey in front of me where I could improve and, and make massive improvements and, and also the opportunity to share this learning journey along the way. So at that point, and that point was actually three weeks ago, I thought, well, maybe I should go try to leverage this should make the most of this and actually start a podcast and invite really experts in speaking and ask them about my questions that i have in speaking how, how i can improve and let them teach me let them life coach me and make the let them make the progress in me so even for the persons early on my podcasts when i don't have a lot of listeners they can make the most of change in how i become a better speaker they can really make an impact in making me a better speaker and showing other people that they had their part in making me a better speaker. So would you be part of this journey? All right, let's, let's start. Yeah. So your opening is unfortunately all about you. Mm -hmm. And I get that the, the title of this is pitch yourself, but it's pitch yourself and why guests should join you. Right? So if we're pitching something, even though it's about us, we can't make it about us, right? You, if you're trying to convince somebody to, to come on your podcast, you need to make it about them. And, and then you need to make it how they're going to feel coming on this podcast, right? Something like this would have been, been more in line with how I would, would start this. What if you could come and demonstrate your expertise? Demonstrate it by working with somebody who doesn't know exactly what he's doing. So that you can show the world exactly why you're so good at what you do. Is that something that would interest you? Well, I'm Pim and I have a podcast and that's what I want to bring you on for is to show the world what you're capable of. Show them that you have expertise because if you listen to me, you know that I have things to work on and I'm an open book. I'm a block of clay. 
You can mold me and sculpt me. You can show the world just the type of artist that you are. That's what my podcast is about. That's why I think you should join. What do you think? Yeah, okay. That, <laughs> that's obviously better. <laughs> so I you, think, you, like, yeah. you, you see that just like switch, right? It's all about what that other, like simply putting a lot of your thoughts in the, so like one of the most effective ways of hooking somebody, let's talk about the hook, right? Because I think that's an easy way to, to help you. Mm-hmm. And you know this because like you're in sales, you need a hook, right? And your hook is your first thing you say. So when we're, we're thinking about speaking, there's two, two ideas that always run through my head, primacy and recency. Primacy is the first thing people hear. Recency is the, the most recent thing they hear. You're, they're two of the most important things when we're talking about speaking and the way humans remember things. So if we're thinking about the hook, which is your open, it's the first and the most recent thing that they hear in that moment. That's the highest leverage moment you have in any talk, in any pitch, in any moment, because that's your chance to really capture their, their attention and say, I should be listening more. Now, when you start and you say, I'm Pim and this is all, you know, and you mm-hmm. go kind of down that journey, I'm not really hooked. Like I'm not that interested in, in that, right? But if I pose a question, questions are beautiful ways to hook your audience, right? If I pose a question and make you think about it, what you're creating is what I what I think of as intrigue. You're trying to intrigue me. Where it sits in my mind, I say, huh, that's an interesting idea. You know what, I kind of would like to do that. That is incredibly powerful when it comes to a speaker. Creating intrigue in your audience is creating emotion, is creating essentially their brain to, the, to go work for you while you're speaking. So that would be one thing. The other thing that I would tell you too, as we're thinking through more kind of speech mechanics, is your pace is very, very fast and very rapid. And one of the things you you do, and again, we'll we'll go through this just a little bit to to help you. So certainly don't don't take any offense. No, 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 sure, go ahead. But you you have a tendency when to fill your space with some filler words and to repeat them, like like, um um. That, that, which again, I, I totally understand. Like that's a very common thing, but what we need to get really comfortable with is slowing down our pacing. So when I'm listening to you speak, it's all very fast and it feels like you're very excited, but it also feels a little bit chaotic where like it's a little bit out of control. So the reason why early when I was saying slow down, because if we slow down and speak at that pace, especially when we're delivering like a pitch or a speech or talk a presentation, like one of those bigger moments where we're really trying to connect emotionally, like me and you talking right now, we can speak at a faster pace because it's more conversational. But we're, we're thinking about actually delivering a speech or a pitch that we want to really land and create emotional impact. We want to slow it down. What it allows us to do is for your really exciting moments, you can speed up. And it demonstrates to the listener's ear, hey, this is exciting. This is something Pim is really passionate about. I should pay more attention to it. The problem is when you speak really fast the entire time, I don't know what you care about more. I don't know what your bigger point is. And if you try to speed up and you're already talking fast, what it ends up feeling like is you're out of control, right? And so you have to be super careful with your pacing because if you want to use dynamics as a speaker. So when I say, you know, dynamics as a speaker, what I mean is playing around with changes in our speed, changes in our volume, changes in our tone, 
we need to make sure that the audience feels like they're intentional. Like it's not that you just lost control. And I'm not saying you did. I'm just saying these are tools that you can use to get better. So if you were to slow down that pacing a little bit more, stay under control, then when you get to something really exciting, you can speed up for 15, 30 seconds and demonstrate to me, the listener, oh, this is something I should be like keyed up for and listening to closely. Because Pim's excited. And then what you can do is you can actually bring it back. When you go really excited, then you can come really slow and amp up the drama, build up the tension. And that's, I think you could kind of see when I was doing that, that last, you could hear me kind of slowing down towards the end and you could hear me getting softer. And that was on purpose because I wanted it to feel more intimate. I wanted it to feel more dramatic to my audience who's listening to it because I want them really left with that feeling of, wow, that is something I would like to do. And that is kind of that, not only do we want to hook our audience on the front end, we want to hook them on the end. And that's where I call the dismount. And that dismount needs to be really strong. It needs to be something that really leaves them thinking, leaves an impact on them. And so again, a great question or a really strong finishing line will make sure that's the last thing that sticks with them. Because again, we're talking about recency. The most recent thing they hear is the last thing you say. And it's actually one of the biggest mistakes people make, in my opinion, when they're speaking is they say, thank you as their last thing to their audience. Hmm. I hate that. I absolutely hate that because it's, it's the, that's the most recent thing that they hear. And it just, it, it's, it's not effective. So we were talking about primacy and recency. And when analyzing my speech, you said, well, at the beginning you were talking all about yourself and that's your chance to grab the attention of the listeners of the audience. So if I, if I like correct my speech, I would start off by naming some advantage for them or something that interests them, that sparkles some curiosity for them. So that could be something like, um, you can have a huge impact on the trajectory of what I'm going to follow as a speaker or something like that. I mean, again, I think that is you just stating that is not as interesting as posing mm -hmm. it more as a question, right? Yeah. And again, this goes back to this idea of intrigue. Like it's kind of this idea of let their let them do the thinking themselves, right? So it goes back to thinking of show, don't tell. So mm -hmm. like if you're telling them, you can have a huge impact on the way that I become a speaker. Like you, you told me like, okay, it's somewhat interesting, but not, not over the top. Whereas again, where if you deliver something like, what if you had the chance to define the type of speaker that somebody becomes a chance to demonstrate your expertise and your quality as an artist, would that be something that interests you? Because I'm Pim and I have podcast. And that's exactly what I want to ask you to do, to come and shape me, shape the speaker that I become, right? Do you see like the difference there is mm. we're asking, we're trying to make your audience really the person you're speaking to go into their own head and start answering that question themselves. Instead of you telling me, I'm thinking to myself, that would be interesting. I would be intrigued to like really get to be like the artist and mold somebody in real, real time. So I think that that's just a more effective way of doing it. And then you can also see 
the thing that I, I like doing right there is when you're creating this opening hook is really embracing silence. Like you just kind of told your, your thing from start to finish. But if, if you notice like silence on your hook is incredibly powerful because when you just drop it and make them think, it forces them inside their head to really take into, you know, internalize what you just delivered to them versus just kind of rushing through. It doesn't have time to really sink in. We want it to sink in. So like one of the biggest things I would tell you is use pauses more effectively. Pauses should come after big moments, big points, things that you want to really amp up the drama, make sure that your audience takes into account. Those, those moments are especially at the beginning after your hook, they're after some big point during the, the meat of kind of your, your pitch. And then of course we want to leave them with silence at the end. We want to deliver that really big finishing statement or question or whatever it is, and then just end in silence. Think of it like if you go and you listen to a symphony, right? You go to the, you go to, to whatever great hall you can listen to when things open and the orchestra is playing. When they finish that piece, everything stops. It's completely silent. Like there's no doubt that it's time for the crowd to jump up and erupt in applause, right? That's, that's just the way musicians do it. And it should be the same for speakers where you deliver it, finish, and just leave it in silence and let it hang there. I, I noticed you made this reference to like, um, like art or, or music. And I read on your website that you try to leverage these references a lot in teaching people how to speak. Can you explain something about that? Well, so obviously like art is a huge influence in the way that I think about speaking, right? So interestingly enough, performative actually means of or relating to performance art, because I do believe that speaking is performance art. And then essentially what we can do is other sources of art give us inspiration, right? Whether it's a, a painting that moves us emotionally or it's a musical piece that could be a modern you know techno trance piece it could be death metal it could be pop it could be an old kind of classic from you know chopin or beethoven like it doesn't matter all of those are sources of inspiration that we can learn from what about them is so effective why do they move us why do they create emotion Right? Like there's a very different feel if you're listening to some of the classics like Rachmaninoff has a very like you listen to, to those pieces. And you're like, oh, that's that is that is a Russian who was living in that period of time. Like you can feel it. You can sense that. That emotion and that vibe in the pieces he writes, even if you listen to artists today, like listen to Kanye and listen to the different kind of albums that he's put out. They very much reflect different moods and vibes and things of that nature. So when you listen to them, you can figure out why is that so effective? What's working? Because once we know what's working, we reverse engineer. We say this piece created this feeling inside of me and I want to create that feeling in my audience, right? We now have that bridge. We can reverse engineer and say, I know what I want them to feel. I know when I felt it. So how do I, how do I connect those two? Well, we start figuring out what did they do in that musical piece or what about that that photograph you saw, or what about that architecture really hit you? Why were you moved in that way? What about that meal was so incredible to you that created this internal feeling and how do we recreate that for our audience or a movie or TV scene? 
same thing. What do they do with the lighting? How are they using music? What are they doing with the pacing of the, the way that they're speaking? What are they doing with costume design? How do they set it up? What's the structure? How are they telling the story? What characters are there? Why are they, they leaning on certain characters more in this dynamic than others? Like we start to study all these things and it probably feels overwhelming in some ways to, to you, but to me, like it all makes sense. It feels like this symphony going off in my head of, oh, I feel this, I feel this, I feel this, I can bring this all in and start creating a musicality in the way that I speak because that's what it should be. One of my favorite quotes is from the West Wing and it's dealing with this idea of words are like music and that we should treat them with so because we can, music has the ability to move people and by extension, so do words when we create that music with them. And so that's what I'm always trying to achieve and that's why I'm always thinking about art and the way that it inspires me and moves me and that's why you'll see me write about all sorts of art. And I, I mean, I think art is architecture, it's sculpture, it's painting, it's photography, it's great books, it's movies and television, and it's music, and it's literally everything, and it's also speaking. If you watched Amanda Gorman's inaugural poem on Wednesday in the US, like that was some of the finest performance art I've ever seen. It's incredibly inspiring, incredibly powerful, and you can use that to figure out what did she do so well? Even simple things, things we're picking up on how she used her hands, right? That's, that's part of it. So if we start seeing, hey, we have this example of somebody who did this really well, we can start doing it ourselves. How do we use our hands to elevate our speaking? And she's a great example. You can go and study that. So that's why I'm always looking at other forms of art because it gives me external sources to pull in inspiration from. Cool. I think that's also a really nice way to um, to every time again get a unique approach to speaking because you're putting inspiration out of another discipline and then translating it into speaking so that makes you kind of more authentic, I think. Yeah, it's definitely more interesting. So like the next exercise I would, would probably tell you to do or you can do this for homework too is I would create an inspiration mm -hmm. list. I think this is something people should have. And an inspiration list is what's your favorite movies, television, what's your favorite music, what's your favorite art pieces and start building that out. Because then what you can do is when you're searching for inspiration, instead of trying to think through your head, you just go to your Rome, Rome notes or you go to Evernote or you go to Notion and you say, here's my inspiration list and this is what I have. And the second thing I would tell you to do is to create a story bank. And a story bank is you just going through things that you think you could tell a great story about. Life experiences, work experiences, travel experiences, and just start listing those. And over time, what you'll do is go into that story bank and start crafting them and developing them. And what you'll find is just having that source, that external source for you to look to will help you become a better speaker because now you're no longer trying to create on the fly. You're creating from a place of, oh yeah, I know this, I've been thinking about this and now I've really designed a really powerful story. Hmm, exactly. Okay, well, man, I think we can leave it at this because those are some enormously great enormously helpful uh, homework exercises and um yeah thank you so much for uh, for joining this episode and really having your valuable advice ready so um thank you and um yeah well let's see each other again thanks ben